Welcome to Churches Cancelled. I'm your co-host, Brett, and this week I'm joined by George Wallace. George, how are you doing today, George? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, obviously, a reference that hopefully most of our listeners don't get. <laughs> well, I should. I, I do want to start off this episode. We are going to talk about racial reconciliation today. I do have to start off with a little disclaimer. I don't want anyone going on the internet and finding this out later. So it is true for a period of uh, 12 months, I was a senior strategic consultant to one of America's oldest um, fraternal organizations. I helped them rebrand themselves. They used to have this title with three letters. It was all weird. And I was like, I don't know what a clue or a clux is. So whatever. They're now called the Coalition for Progress and Equity. We had a very cordial relationship. We wow. worked well together. Um, I helped them reframe some of their goals. Um, unfortunately, we worked together mostly through um, phone calls. And then yeah. uh, they said somebody in their neighborhood got uh -huh. a webcam and they upgraded their Windows 98 computer. <laughs> so we did a, we did a video call. <laughs> Yeah, and I wasn't able to change the resolution or the the brightness. So uh, unfortunately, that that uh, that relationship ended. But I think that we had a very good working relationship. Um, those guys are really nice. Um, they're all kind of a family, but not really a family. So you know, that's just the yeah. I just wanted to put that out there. So what did they rebrand to again? The Coalition for Progress and Equity. The Coalition for Progress and Equity. That's correct. Wow. Yeah. Sounds like you really did some good re reconciliatory work there. I hope so. I mean, I just felt like, you know, you're really poorly executing your mission here. And I just mm -hmm. helped them realign their values with their brand. That's what I do over at my company. So. Wow. Yeah. Incredible testimony. Incredible <laughs> testimony. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think we're all inspired as a result. I hope so. So uh, as you stated, uh, today we're talking about racial reconciliation. That's correct. Um, I mean, you're a cracker. I'm made of chocolate. Figured this is the right, this is the right, this is the right venue for that. So. Uh, but before we get into our chocolatey cracker episode. Okay. Uh, are you like chocolate or more of like Nutella? Well, I'm allergic to most nuts, so yeah, Nutella is uh, probably more accurate. Yeah, I mean, I'm the child of Indian immigrants. Mm -hmm. But uh, before we say too much about being a child of Indian immigrants, I think there are some things you said you failed yes. to mention in a previous episode that you wanted to cover. Yeah, so in our episode about politics, um, which we record a lot of these episodes ahead of like at a pretty delayed schedule just to make sure they get out and we have plenty of margin in our, in our schedule. So I don't even know what we're going to title it yet, <clears throat> but there's a handful of things I, I forgot to mention. And I feel like some of them are going to apply here. So I'm just going to say them now. Um, Christian nationalism, which is a subject du jour for the corporate press um, was created by um, the uh, by the myth that Christian conservatives have 
about America. And that myth is that we're this special chosen country, we're God's country, and that we're a Christian nation and a concept I uh, both reject and I find abhorrent. Um, a country cannot be Christian. People can be Christian. Um, and when Christians I, try... I think, I think that's called dominionism. I was doing yeah. some research for our episode today came across the term dominism, the idea that uh, a certain group of people uh, by the power of God has dominion over territory and sometimes over other Is that similar to what you're saying or really? Yeah, it is. It's very, it's kind of similar to what I'm saying. Um, and that I believe a lot of lovely Christian people but you know, believe that our country functioned in a certain way. And they believe that the constitution was real and that, you know, God's on our side. And then the events of 2020. Yeah, that Moses wrote the constitution right alongside the 10 commandments and everything, right? Correct. And um, they have this mythos that this country was founded on Christian principles by Christian people for, and that mythos was destroyed in 2020, um, listen, as a, as a guy who's a libertarian watching that election happen, whatever you think happened, my view is that all elections are fake. Doesn't, <laughs> right? Yeah, so, they are. For, not, you know, for different reasons, but, you know, and that <clears throat> their faith in the system was shattered. Their faith in this country's system was shattered. And for a lot of them, um, they st what, what ended up happening is they dove into some of these weird conspiracies and other stuff because the alternative was to believe that their entire lives were a lie and that America was not this, this what they thought it was. I don't think America is evil. I don't think it's not evil. I just yeah. think it is. Um, and like, uh, listen, I'm pretty anti-political. Can, can you be more specific in what regard? So uh, when you say that people had their, their, what they believed in, their belief in the system mm. was shattered because of what happened in 2020, what yeah. are you talking about? So there was lockdowns. Yeah. And so a lot of lovely conservative Christian people believed that the constitution mattered. Mm -hmm. Now I'm of the mindset it doesn't, it's, it only matters when they can use it against you. It never matters when you can use it against them, them being Pretty the much, government. Yeah. There's, there's 50, there's 50 colors of government in this country, your state, your city, your county, your school district. In Texas, I was denied to vote on the Uber. Remember, they're trying to ban Uber and Lyft? Yeah. Um, it was actually when we, the day we were moving out of our apartment, we were splitting up. Um, we reconciled racially. <laughs> and I went to go vote because I thought this was horrendous. Like I, you know, I was uh, whatever. They said, well, technically you live in Austin, but you're in the wrong water district. You don't get a vote on this. I was like, what? Because Austin is, a, is the blueberry and the tomato soup. Our water district is where it turns red again. It's where it turned, it turned yeah. back into Texas, right? This little, this little cow, the, this, the, here's Los Angeles inside of Texas. It turns back into Texas. So they're like, yeah, you can't vote on this. But I'm like, I can't vote on it. But at the same time, I won't be able to use Uber if it passes. Like, right. So, um, the, you know, I had a, a friend who's now running for office, actually, in Minnesota. 
go on Facebook and say, I can't believe they didn't consult the American people about lockdowns. <laughs> Bro, you yeah, thought this. Is... And so those people, and you know, one of these guys is one of our friends, dear friend of ours. And so, so you're saying people thought that they had what are called rights. Yes. That are, you know, God given and government enforced the constitution protects us the people when they found out they really only have privileges is that what you're saying yeah they were um yeah that's correct the you they thought they had rights but what they had was temporary permissions mm -hmm. um and they when they looked at people like me uh, a libertarian who like you know a, a former um elder from my church all i did was post stuff that the pres former president had done in his term, printed money, lockdown, all this other stuff. Dude, he just just wouldn't stop nailing me with sending me Facebook messages like this is whatever. And um, that, so the, the events of 2016 are analogous in the sense that for many Democrats, Christian or otherwise, their concept of democracy was we would never vote in such an evil person and then okay and then that happened and you just mm -hmm. saw how a lot of those people rightfully are deemed as having tds trump derangement syndrome mm -hmm. and they're correct trump derangement but the thing is trump derangement syndrome cuts both ways right and we have now this weird there's even a book out called <clears throat> trump son of man savior to mankind or something like an intimating that he's somehow the second coming oh wow that exists so i, I and, and listen i think all politics is fake and lgbtqia plus um and i think it is a satanic distraction from what we need to be doing and focusing on that wow. said that said panic that's correct and a lot of these people uh lovely people love jesus but their love for jesus is subordinate to their love for america the american founding and in a sure. lot of ways they they worship the american founding and the constitution and the founding fathers the way they should be worshiping jesus doesn't mean they don't that love jesus be, that'd be a biblical definition of the antichrist anti really translates more to in place of so yeah. we are worshiping a certain political party or political leader in place of christ you would you'd be right yeah, and I'm not even saying it's a it's a specific thing. They're just, and I'm I'm a I'm a patriotic guy. I, I call myself a 1776 patriot, not a 1791 patriot. Difference being, 1776 is more like we're not paying your taxes. We're not mm -hmm. doing this. Like the Declaration of Independence is a fantastic document. Mm -hmm. The Constitution's a little socialisty for me, right? <laughs> it's like oh, we have a bunch of powers and. Uh, Maybe you get to negotiate what the color of the boot over your neck is, but that's about it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> whereas in 1776, they're like, all men are created equal. We're going to be free. If you don't like it, England, come over, pull up. We're going to find out if we're free or not. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I'm the child of immigrants. I don't hate America. But what I did notice was that when I say this kind of stuff to conservatives, they tend to pillory me as some sort of left-wing weirdo. Yeah, what do you and, hate, America? Are you some kind of socialist? 
And then I'm like, eh, no. What do you I, hate, Jesus? It, precisely. You have uh, accurately described. And some of this does end up playing into the fact of race and racial reconciliation. Um, yeah, I think so. Because you know, I remember I was at church and a lovely, I was explaining to my buddy, he's a white guy. He's huge. He towers over me. I was explaining to him why I'm not a huge fan of the police. Now, him and I were having a nuanced dialogue and his wife shows up and there's a Bible in the old, there's a verse in the old Testament that says that admonishes wives. If two men are fighting, don't grab the ball sack of the, of the other guy, (laughs) like just let him fight. We weren't having a fight. We were having a nuanced dialogue. I love this lady. She's lovely. But she's like, you know, if I was brown, I wouldn't like cops either. I'm like, I don't hate cops because I'm brown. I hate them because I love America. <laughs> like, that's why, you know. But I think, but I will say is as much as I, everything I just said, politics brought me closer to Jesus. And here's how. I realized how useless it was. I realized how, how useless, useless what was? Politics. Okay. So you found politics to be useless. That brought you closer to Jesus. Because I realized politics is this fake. It's this, it's a distraction from the meaningful thing in our life, which is. Politics Jesus. is a religion in, of, in and of itself. Correct. And I discovered that I was chasing after meaning, value, and purpose by being political. And all I really wanted at the end of that was Jesus. And I realized that because when you look at the system and you look how Danny, was there a, was there a Jesus sized hole in your heart and you were trying to fill it with politics? I'm dead now. I passed away. <laughs> um, that is a cliche, but that is, uh, that's probably accurate. Um, okay. So uh, it's not inaccurate in many ways. Um, so I think we're going to get, I think we're ready to jump into our discussion. Uh, actually, no, there's, hold on one, one other thing. Let me just make sure I covered everything. <clears throat> oh, I, I did want to add this. Um, so what I was saying is those, those white conservatives, I shouldn't say white conservatives because I've had black conservatives say this kind of nonsense to me also. So sure. um, everything that those people love about America they're like, you're just being rebellious. And they start throwing the Republican verses at me. Like you have to worship the government and Romans 13 and all that stuff. Yeah. But everything they love about America, you know, uh, country music, good country music is old timey country music, which is called um, outlaw country. Right. And it was, it was guys singing about the law coming after them. Their moon dude, freaking NASCAR got started because guys were running moonshine. And they were racing each other. Like, I love that. Everything that they love about America that has been delineated down to this and um, distilled into this um, Jesusified, acceptable version comes out of rebellion. Following Jesus is a rebellion, right? Mm-hmm. Is a separation. It is a, it is a, is a naturally rebellious act to follow Jesus in our culture, I think. And then it's a naturally rebellious act to follow Jesus the way I do and the way you and I relate to Jesus and the gospel and the way we talk about it and the way we talk and the way we go to church. It's all rebellious, but they view that as like they want more of, and I think we said this, I forget which episode they're looking for you to conform to their image of what a good Christian conservative yeah, should be. The image of not, the church. Correct. And unfortunately the mold of the church has become this flag waving 
uh, disgusting nonsense where, I mean, did I, I, I remember it was July 4th or Veterans Day or something. I, I'm walking to church and they're flying the flag. Like, hey, buddy, like, I, like Jesus is uninterested in your petty factionalism. But right. that he is certainly uh, he certainly wasn't American. Well, yeah, that's I mean, that. I mean, listen, I don't actually have a problem with people making the image of Jesus white simply because I went to some church in Israel and every nation had sent in their version I, of Jesus. What's that? Uh, sorry, it cut out. OK, go ahead. <clears throat> so I was at this church in Israel and they all sent their image of Jesus. And the Koreans had ripped Korean Jesus. <laughs> and the Japanese had ripped Co- Japanese Jesus. And the Lebanese Christians had ripped Lebanese Jesus. And the American Jesus was like, he had a scruffly beard, he had a little bit of a pot belly, and he was riding a mobility scooter. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. Uh, but my, my perception or image of Jesus is a guy who rides an Indian motorcycle, or actually, no, he, he might ride a Japanese motorcycle. He's concerned about, you know, <clears throat> reliability and conserving the environment. <laughs> <clears throat> but, he, you know, he rides a chopper, you know, he, okay. he, he's wearing cowboy boots and a leather jacket. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to, we'll, we'll, we'll do our ad and then we're going to jump into our subject. How's that sound? Well, today we are happy to announce our newest sponsor. A brand new one. Fantastic. Dick Recruiter. Now, are you the what did head? You, did you say Zip Recruiter? No, no, no. No. No, no. If you are the head of a large Christian organization and you guys are seeking yeah. workers and executives for your organization. Okay. And one of, the, um, one of the things in the job description is banging your wife. I need oh. you to go to dickrecruiter.com. Dickrecruiter.com oh. brings professional Christian men into your organization that are going to be very subtle and very light-handed when they bang your wife. I want you to go to dickrecruiter.net and use promo code canceled 10 for 10% off your subscription to dickrecruiter.net. Dick Recruiter helps you fill your employment needs while finding somebody to bang your wife. Yeah, it is. It is incredible the the needs that uh, that they have reviews from customers on right. on the dick on the dick recruiter dot net. Right. It's just there's if your business and your ministry and your marriage has a void right. that needs to be filled, Dick Recruiter can help you fill that void in more than one way. That's correct. Let me read you this review. Let's hear. This it. is from a guy named Jerry, and he says we use Dick Recruiter to help find Giancarlo for my, uh, for a position at our university. We run one of the largest Christian universities in America. Yeah. Dick recruiter helped us fill so many voids. We couldn't be happier. That's dickrecruiter.net promo code canceled. Jerry. That's right. Wow. Jerry F. I didn't give his full last name. Jerry F. How do you, that's right. How do you not go to dickrecruiter.net right now after and, hearing that review from Jerry F and have all your em- employment and the ministry needs fulfilled? That's correct. All right. Well, let's uh, jump into our, our topic for this yeah. week, Danny. Racial reconciliation. And, what? you know. <laughs> what? What does that mean? Um, 
you know, I just use the term racial reconciliation because it's kind of the popular subject title. Um, but I think racism is also like part of the subject, wouldn't you think? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, racism within the context of church, is that a problem and that sort of thing? <clears throat> racial reconciliation is basically the idea that whites and other minorities or other groups of people need to be reconciled. Is that a fair kind of? Yeah, they need to be brought back together. There's been a divide. Mm. Now, can I ask you to do, do me a favor and quickly just, just, just define what racism is in your mind? Sure. Sure. Racism is uh, a discrimination uh, against somebody or a group of people uh, simply for the only reason, uh, just ba based solely on their skin color. So you exclude right. them, you do things to harm them knowingly, sometimes unknowingly, because of the way they look. Yeah, and I would say that there's another, there's a different definition of racism, a more pernicious definition of racism, one that I don't care for, one that I don't use, which is privilege plus power. Now, the first time I ever heard that definition, despite someone who's, you know, kind of well-versed in you know kind of some of these subjects was uh from your ex-girlfriend uh from the church that we have planned oh really yeah and that was the first time i ever heard i'm uh, familiar with the concept of of power i'm familiar with the concept of privilege mm -hmm. but i slept through or skipped or didn't bother to care about most of my university courses right so i never got that piece or i'm sure somebody tried to brainwash me with it once but it didn't take so um that's i think that's that's uh that is pertinent to our dialogue about race racial reconciliation and the church uh, you know our subject today i think that definition plays here so yeah that's important um i think if you're saying that uh like if the if your definition of racism is just what I said, where people have done bad things to other people because of the color of their skin. And you say, we need to reconcile because of that. There's, you're going to approach that problem in a different way than you would if you're saying, well, my definition of racism is that, uh, you know, people have power and they have privilege and others don't. And because of that, we need to reconcile and bring them back together. There's, I think those are two very different problems. So you're, they're going to have two very different solutions depending and on I which think, one you're, you're trying to fix. And I think that if your definition is the one I gave, you're approaching something and you're trying to foist and force people who don't have animosity towards other people based on their race. They may have animosity towards people who look different than them. And that could entirely be cultural could be um, their views. It could just be that the brown person is being a dick. That's also a possibility. Um, and so the, the reason this is a conversation that needs to, I think that is pertinent to have for us between you and I is because there is these two different definitions. So there's a group of people trying to do racial reconciliation, white, brown, and otherwise. <clears throat> They're trying to do racial reconciliation and they're having the biggest where they're butting heads is this definition. And they're sure, kind of talking, yeah. they're talking past each other. Yeah, and, absolutely. <clears throat> so 
Um, and, and let me just say this. I've been brown my entire life. 30 plus years I've been a brown person. Uh, going to church from the time I was little at a church where everyone looked like me. Yeah. The first opportunity I got to get out, I was out. I wanted to go to a place with white people. And it wasn't you because wanted to I, reconcile. No, it had nothing to do with that. <laughs> Didn't care. Still don't. Had everything to do with um, the, and I've mentioned this several times in this podcast now, the desire for people of a shared culture to shove that culture up the gospel's keister, mm. to, to try and work the gospel like a puppet so that the gospel will align with their culture so that they can feel like we are not forcing people into our culture. We're just presenting the gospel. And when they're not adhering to it, we're just holding them accountable. Sure. And um, so you think that's less likely to occur in a more diverse church? Are they less likely to force their culture up the gospel's keister? I like that motion. Thank you. The sound effect really does it justice. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. What it know. Um, um, so they're, they're, t they're t um, I don't know that it's necessarily true what you're saying that, you know, that, um, I was asking, not saying. no, I, I know. I don't know that it's necessarily the case because as I mentioned before, we see Christian conservatives shoving conservative culture up the gospel's keister. And I find that detestable. I don't like it when the brown people do it with their culture. I don't like it when the other people, the white people do it with, or for a more broad term, American people do it with the conservative culture um, or politics or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do feel though, it is much harder to enforce in that scenario, right? Sure. Um, because there's going to be differing views. And mm -hmm. so I'll, I'll use this as an example. I grew up child of Indian immigrants. The concept of dating was not only foreign, but unchristian. It's unbiblical. So can't it was really until you get married, huh? Basically. It wasn't even that you can't date till you get married. It's that when you're ready to get married, God's going to align something for you. And the way he's going to do that, oh, why don't you know it? He uses traditional Indian norms and culture <laughs> <laughs> to bring that, that, you know, like it's just, yeah. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you believe the coincidence? God is good, isn't he? Yeah. Um, and so going into a predominantly white church, if you want to say that, or um, that was not weird. Like that was not a factor. They're like, of course you're going to date somebody when you're 18 or 19. And then in five years or four years or, you know, whenever you graduate from North Central, you guys are going to get married right after. Right, or, exactly. Or Bethel or <laughs> University of Northwestern or Liberty, any of these places. Mm -hmm. um, and that wasn't so that that was a that was one example of that. <clears throat> so. In the context of racial reconciliation in this conversation or racism in the context of church and how that's continuing to apply, um, I want to cite this guy named uh, Vadi Baucom. Now, the problem is I can't pronounce his name to save my life. Yes. Um, so, uh, but, you know, he was, he, he gave a sermon about this or a speech or whatever. And uh, he was, or he was doing a fireside chat. He's sitting down with a guy talking about it. Now, this has been my experience. 
people want to hear from black and brown and yellow Christians until it until I start reaching the wrong conclusion. And then it's like, shut your dirty mouth. <laughs> Don't you dare say that. Um, and I, I, I tend to agree with some of the what black people are saying is like, hey, we, we're not we can't just sweep slavery under the rug. That's not cool. But the the problem is they're saying a lot of black white people are saying to black people, well, your culture's problem is X, Y, and Z, and here's how you solve it. And black uh-huh. people are going, it's your fault because you did slavery. Sure. And uh, that's a very reduction. That's a hyper reduced. We we had a, I don't know if you were there. We were at a small group in a, that church that we helped plant in Texas. And there was a, a black guy in the group. And uh, we were talking about, I think, racial reconciliation. And he said something to, to me directly to the effect of your people enslaved my people, but basically did, saying what you're you're saying that I was getting the blame for it. And I, I said, well, I don't know if you know who my people are, but uh, it's like not not my people. My uh, my family all settled in Wisconsin and my great like, great or whatever grandfather fought for the union. Uh, so right. I don't I don't know if that's my people. Yeah. And so the, the reason that there is this butting of heads when we have this conversation is not simply because of the d- difference in definitions. It's because black people are people of color. I don't like that phrase, but minorities doesn't work because I'm not a minority. And in five years, Indians will have the most, the largest population in the world. So we're not a minority. I don't consider myself a minority. I'm just a guy. Um, So is that black people are saying you need to take responsibility for what you did. And they're, and the white people are going, yes. Okay. Yeah. That's like what happened was really bad but you guys should stop uh, having children out of wedlock. And they're like, no, that's your fault. It's like, well, there's a lot of blame. There's a lot of blame going around. Right. And a lot of, so I think what you said, number one, we can't define like people have different definitions. They believe in different theories of what race and racism is. Right. And then we have a lot of blaming going on. Uh, And then we have a lot of like, like you said, I'm just a guy. Right. We have a lot of people. We, we, we're putting people in groups again to try to solve the problem, which is not right. a really good way to solve a problem. We're all individuals and we tend to forget that when we talk about issues of race. And, um, and it, then I think we also have the, uh, there was one other point I was going to make. I think then you have the kind of the white withdraw from conversation, which you didn't mention yet, but I think you're probably going to get to is that when whites as the uh, majority uh, group here are blamed, they just tend to withdraw and just say, okay, well then I don't really want to, I don't really want to talk about it anymore. Yeah, I think that if you're going to, I think that the number one problem in this dialogue is that if the, if if the, if the you know, the POC, t- Team POC, right, POC, is going to run around calling people white supremacists and they're looking at their checking account and going, I don't know how we're going to pay rent on a trailer next month. I, there's, a, there's something idiosyncratic about that that doesn't, it just simply, it simply doesn't fit. Mm. And they're not, the you've lost the plot here of uh, in 1619, all this. And, and there's all of these, there's white historians and black historians who are like, mm, if you actually look at the statistics, you know, something like, I think it was 8% of all slaves landed in the United States. 
something like 5% of American white people owned a slave. It was simply a thing that it was a luxury. It was like a Louis Vuitton mm-hmm. bag. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that disconnect about, uh, because I, I, I feel, and you know, our, our one friend says this all the time, he's like, well, you have more power in this country than I do. Mm-hmm. And he's right, but he's also wrong because I have power with my face, but I lose it the minute I open my mouth and I say the wrong things. Right. If I was towing the company line, that's fine. But if I have a nuanced version of like, well, no, I don't have an issue with the cops because they're racist. I have an issue with the government enforcing unconstitutional and immoral laws. And that's why I take issue with the cops and they're, they're, they're hurting and killing more white people than black people or brown people or whatever. That's a problem. But I'm not fitting into the narrative of this is racism. It's racially driven. And it's like, no, it's driven by power, not privilege to use that, you know, it's driven by their false sense of authority. Also have to understand, there's so many different uh, caveats to this conversation. Uh, In that same church we were in, in in Austin, there was was actually, there was a black girl who said this. She said, you know, power or privilege is not... um, it's not uh, what's now. Now I'm going to forget the word. Uh, bot, not bilateral is not the word I'm looking for. I don't know. But but basically, it's not singular. Right. It's not. It's not like you have it or you don't. It's right. uh, for for a good. Uh, it's not black or white. Um, that there. It's more of a spectrum. So you may right. lack. You may lack privilege in one area. Uh, maybe you are. You're black, so you don't have privilege in in certain scenarios. You're you know, whatever, right. maybe you're more, uh, intersection. You gotta be cautious when you get pulled over by the police, but you could be right. wealthy and black. Right. So you're going to have a lot of privilege that a, a poor white person doesn't have. Right. right? So I, I think that's a good point to remember too. There are different, uh, kind of, um, flavors of power and privilege. It is more of a spectrum than, uh, right. Than and just I, having I, it or not. Was the term you were looking for intersectional? No, I, it wasn't. It, it okay. was, it was by by something, not bisexual. Okay. Whatever. But, uh, <laughs> no, I. <clears throat> so the the parts of this conversation that infuriate me is when <clears throat> at the church we started, help start. You know, before we even got going, uh, the pastor took me to Tyson's Tacos off of Airport Road. Still my favorite place to get tacos. And you can tell Tyson's when, or Torchies. Yeah. No, no, no. Torchies is the freaking chain. Tyson's. Okay. Um. And you can always tell when somebody's not from in, like not from there, because they will sit at in, like at the shack that's next to the taco stand, taco trailer, and then a grackle will just come and eat their taco, and they're like, uh. and the guys at Tyson's will see it from the window, and they're like, all right, we'll make you another one. We know the we know the drill. Um, but because I, I, I was eating them in my car, but you know he's like, listen, I give you permission to be your full self. And then when I was my full self and I started saying some libertarian stuff and started not agreeing with their views on race and in sometimes in conflict with you, not conflict, but I was taking a different position than you. Um, and I was saying, I, I still believe some of this stuff. If we continue down this path of having the conversation, the way we're having it, you're going to disenfranchise and already have in so many ways, white people from ever caring about the subject. And I think you were saying white silence or what, what was that term you used? I, I, I made that up. White yeah, well, withdrawal. I made that up. I don't know if that's commonly used. but so White withdrawal from the dialogue and I don't blame them. 
Because yeah. if you're in a situation where you're trying to explain well, to way, someone. The way that he was approaching the conversation was just assuming all whites have more power and privilege than everyone else, right? Is that right. fair to say? Okay. Completely fair to say. And I don't agree with that. Um, I look at this country and I go, Indian people are doing just, Indian immigrants are doing just fine here. Their children are doing fantastic. You know, there's there's been two Indian governors or the child of Indian immigrants, two governors <clears throat> were running basically all of tech until two weeks ago, we were running Twitter too. Like we, <laughs> we lost out on the Twitter, but, um, and and so when I see that, when I see people of color, my color doing well in every strat of our, of our society, academic, uh, business everywhere. I go, this is not a problem of race or privilege. It is a matter of culture. And it is, it is. Do you think that black people think differently though? Yes. You're, brown, you're quite a bit darker than me. Right. But you get darker and the culture changes and things change. Right. So you may, you, uh, from the, from the, uh, the opposing viewpoint, the, um, the Asian American, which Indians fall under, is actually one of the uh, most successful, at least economically speaking. I think it is the most successful group, even more mm. so than, than white Americans. True. Uh, in terms of the, the economic status in America. Yeah. So yeah, any, how do you respond to that? I respond to that by saying anytime one of my cousins marries a white guy, I go, why are you bringing down the family's GDP? <laughs> Like our, our collective net worth just went down. What are you doing? Um, yeah, I, I respond to that by saying that they needed, they need to have a change of frame. They need to understand the subject differently. And that, um, that the culture is the problem within communities. And here's the thing, we call it black culture, but if you understand history, it's really, low Irish culture, low Scottish culture. It's, it's a blend. It's where that you see in the Midwest, we have the, the, the kind of um, Northern European Lutheran hard work mentality. Yeah. Um, and in the South uh, it was dominated by the Scottish and Irish and they, and this is all stuff, uh, a guy named Thomas Sowell, a, a professor of economics, a social critic has written, who knows dozens of books. His name is always trending on Twitter. Whenever I log in, he's always trending. I'm always worried because he's old. So I'm always like, is this the one? No, uncle Tommy, please don't leave us. Um, he's a black guy, <clears throat> but I, I do remember uh, someone from that church saying, well, he's using white statistics. Uh, numbers are numbers. I don't know how to help you at that juncture, uh, but I will, I, I will throw this, you know, a, a vine, if you will. Mm -hmm. It's entirely correct that the, 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 that the, the problems within the black community, in my view, are entirely created by white people. I don't disagree with that. It's okay. just, you're blaming the wrong white people. It's white liberals, as Malcolm X had pointed out a lot. Mm. It was white liberals that, that were intervening into the black community and saying, oh my goodness, we need to do something. Um, and uh, Jason Riley is an author. He's a columnist at uh, War, War, Wall Street Journal. He wrote a book called Please Stop Helping Us. Mm. <laughs> and um, 
So I think that, you know, we have a, we have a Barna survey or something like that, a study or something, if you want to pull that up and maybe talk about some of the stats there. But I, I think that when it comes to, to, and there's plenty of books you can find from Asians and, you know, even the Cray uh, from one Asian guy, it was taking my, taking my faith away from whiteness. I think Lecrae made a comment, the, the, the rapper, and I was like, Lecrae, you made an entire career performing to suburban white kids you're going to tell me they're racist now, like after giving in. So, well, so you mentioned the study and I do want to, we'll use this to transition into, we've talked a lot about race and we've talked about the problem. We've talked about part of the problem being it's defined differently by different people. Correct. Uh, But we'll talk, we'll transition into now, like what does that have to do with the church and how involved should the church be? So that question, was asked uh, by this this survey. Hey, folks, can you tell we didn't prep this one that well? <laughs> Life goes on. So, uh, Barna.com, you can uh, you can just Google Barna uh, racial reconciliation. This this survey will pop up for you. But they they surveyed some groups. Okay, I don't know how many groups. I don't care. Go look at the study yourself if you if you want to know about its validity. I'm just going to give you the results. Uh, so basically, and they break it down to white practicing Christians, black practicing Christians, millennials, Gen X, boomers, and elders. <clears throat> I'm just going to give you the all practicing Christians. So uh, they ask basically, how do you think the church should respond to the African American community now because of the 400 year history and everything that's happened between slavery and racism and all of that? Uh, 28% of all practicing Christians that they surveyed said there's nothing the church should do. 26% said repair the damage. 16% said repent. 12% said pursue restitution. 8%, this is my favorite one, 8% said lament. We should just lament about it for a little while and then that's it. I'm game with that. 26% said don't know. So the biggest uh, categories there being do nothing, don't know, and repair the damage. But but pretty evenly split, somewhere in the mid-20 percentages. So this is an issue that the church is split on. That's not even saying if we should do something, what should we do? That's just saying, should we? And 28% said no. 26% said yes. And then another 26 is just like, I don't know. Right. <clears throat> no, I think the problem with what sh- like um, do nothing I kind of agree. Um, and the reason I say that is we are so divided on the subject. Um, uh, and I believe this. I think that it's probably fine for us to all go to churches where maybe we there's because we're just going to create strife if we there's no solution here where when two groups of people are so divided on a subject, we can't even agree on the definition. Right. Yeah. And, you know, Vodi, Vodi, um, Vachik, uh, Vachik, um, Balenciaga. He, <laughs> um, so Vincent Balenciaga. So, you know, in, in one of his body, Malcolm. Yeah. That guy, lovely guy, black guy, by the way. 
from I think he was he's from DFW if I'm if I'm correct, uh, runs a Christian uh, university or seminary in Africa. So I think going to say he's a little more black than some of the black people in America still complaining because he actually went to Africa to start a university. But <clears throat> in one of his you know sermons or whatever that I put up here, you know he said that he he saw in his experience that there was uh, through the Promise Keepers movement that there was white pastors concerned that their church wasn't doing a good job of being welcoming to black people. And he said, you know, I'm a black guy with a black wife, black kids. And the black people just didn't care. Mm -hmm. And you can't make a person or a group of people care about something that they don't care about. And there is a personal story for you and I, as a quick side note, we were at a church that we were trying out in Austin, Texas, and this church bragged a lot about being in the most um, most Hispanic neighborhood in Austin. They, oh, yeah, we set up our campus right here. We do so much good for this Hispanic community here. And I looked around and there were never any Hispanic people there. There weren't. Uh, they did have a Spanish speaking service. Maybe that's where yeah. uh, didn't see and, anyone. But I, I brought it up and because I, I had been taught, yeah, r- racial reconciliation is important. If the church is going to do its job, it should look like the kingdom of God, which should include all people. And so I was like, well, they're bragging about being in the most Hispanic neighborhood in the city, but there's no Hispanic people here. Isn't this a little bit of a problem? And I distinctly remember you saying, hey, Brett, did you ever think that maybe people, including minority people, just want to go someplace with other people who look and speak and act like them? And I... And this is where I come to, what's the purpose of church? In my mind, the purpose of church is community. And so if you don't speak English well, or you just want to exist with your traditions, your homeland's traditions, like Indian Christians that I know that only, and it's not as popular in Minnesota where I grew up, but if we go to Dallas, Houston, Atlanta, New York, or uh, New Jersey, you have a smattering of choices of Malayali speaking, Malayalam speaking churches of every denomination. I don't want to go to any of them because culturally I speak the language, don't care for the food. Well, I don't, my my butthole doesn't like the food. And I have no common or shared interests with any of these people. I don't care about what's happening over in that country. I'm, technically a dual citizen i have no interest in going there i don't hate it um i know the culture i'm not a you know i was accused of wanting to be white this is something that people at that church said to me and i thought this is one of two occasions of going there where i said i really want to stuff this person in the trunk of my lincoln town car and plop them off of the into the brazos because freaking telling me dude I don't, you don't get to tell me how I feel or what I want to be. And I will just say this for all those people who believe that if I could do it all over again and be born a different race, I'd still be born Indian, but I would be born Sikh. Okay. I'd be Punjabi because <laughs> they got an awesome religion. They get to carry around swords. They have awesome music. Those dudes are always really tall and yoked. That's and yeah. <laughs> like they are like, they look like movie stars. Completely. And let me also just say, if the entire country of India was just Punjabi people and Punjabi culture, the Brits wouldn't have made it 50 kilometers off the shore. 
they would have been slaughtered for even showing up spices. <laughs> they would have gotten their hands cut off with salami swords. So <clears throat> I like their culture. Um, in Canada, they are the only group of people in That's the Canada is the only place in the world where Indians are intimidating enough to run crime. <laughs> Punjabi Canadians are running the entirety of crime in Canada. It's you, awesome. You did make me watch a uh, Punjabi gangster movie <laughs> that took place in like Toronto one time. It was great. It's British Columbia, firstly. Secondly, Sorry. I did make you watch the movie. I purchased it from Amazon Canada, and it costed it cost thirty seven dollars to get it. <laughs> yeah, I um I had to inflate one of my projects by seventy five dollars to cover the cost of that thing. <laughs> but. Um, <clears throat> all of that to say that at the point of church, in my view, is co- it's community. It's for you to go somewhere and have friends. And a touch point of cult, like I love my father. He's a good guy. He's not a bad guy, but he hasn't watched a movie that was in English. I don't know, in a decade. He doesn't, yeah. it's not his culture. He doesn't get it. Um, and there's parts of me that laments that he's not more of an all-American dad who wants to go play catch, but neither of us have the hand-eye coordination for it. So instead, what we would do is I would bring my math homework home, and he would try to tutor me in it, and then he would start yelling because I suck at math, and that would just be a general disappointment of a son and get a liberal arts degree and that kind of thing. Um, but <clears throat> I think that this uh, conversation isn't looking at the, first of all, the whole purpose of going to church. I asked my grandfather, you know, what's the point of going to church? What, I mean, what is it for? He's like, yeah, I mean, it's true. There should be some Bible teaching and that is important to go to a place that is correct theologically. But ultimately what it comes down to is it's about friendship and having a community of Christian friends and people who, you know, that whole living the gospel, doing life together all of yeah. those cliches that give me diarrhea, just talking about. Um, yeah. And it's not un- unreasonable. <clears throat> Have you ever hung out with a bunch of black people? Yes. It's a whole different, it's a whole different vibe, bro. It's, it's a, it's a completely different vibe. Um, but I will also add to that saying, I know black conservatives who aren't invited to the cookout anymore. Vibe too. Yeah. And black conservatives are a different vibe completely. Um, because it's all of the like uh, love America stuff, but it's still black people. So, I mean, listen, I love hanging out with black people. It's a goof. It's a real good time. I love going to black barbershops, but it's one of those things where I, I can visit, but I can't live there. You know what I'm saying? It's a completely different culture. And mm-hmm. I don't find it ridiculous that they want to, I find it offensive when any culture tries to shove their culture up the gospel's keister, mm-hmm. whatever the noise was he made, that Ooh, he, he said it wet, he swirl. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. There was the church I ended up going to after the one we helped plant. Um, I just went there because they had hot chicks and they had fat bottom Mexican girls though. You know the whole rigmarole I say in every episode, basically. Sounds about. They had rebranded. To, mm-hmm. to, to this new name so that they could, you know, we're the shimmering ocean of diversity or whatever this nonsense was. 
and I said to someone, you know, culturally, I don't know. I, my face fits in, but my culture maybe doesn't, you know? And so, you know, the, one of the gals was like, oh, you're going to have to go like 45 minutes outside of Austin. No one thinks like this in town. You're so, again, I was being othered. I was being right. othered for having a, a culture that didn't fit necessarily with their expectation of what my face is. Um, and so I ended up going two miles down the highway and finding an awesome church. And there's a freaking large Mexican dude on the worship team playing bass guitar because, you know, you can't play acoustic when you're that big. Um, <laughs> well, no, the strap, it becomes, I wouldn't know. Okay. And like, you know, I looked in the mirror. I, I thought I was looking at a mirror. I was like, yeah. Like his forehead was a different color because of diabetes and he had a hot Mexican <laughs> wife that was that girl had to be the size of his thigh, like him, his thigh <laughs> and her were the same weight. But yeah. w- what I learned there was this is about culture. Right. And mm-hmm. my view is that uh, we all came together and I'm not a conservative. I wasn't a conservative at that point in time, but my values were a little more traditional. My hobbies fit in more with those people right then like so it just it it didn't matter to me that these were people weren't that didn't look like me because they didn't there was a lot of white people but guess what it's round rock texas there's blacks and hispanics and asians everybody was there Mm -hmm. never once and i think there's a black guy on staff Never once did anyone bother to go like, oh, we're really, it's a really important thing for us to be racially diverse. Right. And what, I, and what I've discovered at those churches where they're super concerned with racial diversity from the top. Yeah. I stop being an individual and I start being a token representative of a culture they're too stupid to know has nothing to do with what they think it does. Sure. Southern Indian people from Kerala who are Christian our culture has nothing to do with North Indian people, right? We don't even like each other. My father is a saying, never trust a Patel. And he's right. He's not wrong. And so, but they don't, and this conglomeration of like, you're a brown person, ergo X, Y, and Z. I stopped being an individual and I have a very Ayn Randian. And I know it sometimes that clashes with the gospel and being Christian. I have this Ayn Randian notion that I don't exist. <laughs> I don't exist. What did, be- what did Ayn Rand say? She, she, she said, uh, if there is a God, he is my enemy, right? Okay. <laughs> Let's not focus on that part of what she said. Um, what, she, what she did say that I agree with is that I don't exist for other people. Right. And what I, in the context of that for me is I don't exist to be a token for your weird project. I, I'm not here to emotionally satisfy a need you manufactured for racial um, diversity, right? Because what you're asking for is racial diversity, but cultural hegemony, right? Um, Mm, And I don't fit into that. What's that? I said interesting. I haven't heard it put that way. Yeah, and that's what all, all dialogue is about racial diversity and the ESG and diversity, equity, and inclusion, all of it bar none church or not have we nothing... want everyone to look different but you have to believe and behave the way we want you to correct and i'm not doing that for anyone except for jesus i'll behave i'm going to do everything i can to to conform to the image of jesus and the gospel i'm doing everything i can here 
Sometimes I flip over tables and ride in on a white horse with, with a sword made of marble. That happens. Can't help it. Um, and this notion that the white people will treat me like an individual. They'll ask questions about my culture and where I come from because they're not, they don't view that as offensive. And then I get to educate them and say, well, I'm not this kind of Indian. I'm that kind of Indian. And I don't really care about this stuff. And my grandfather used to write uh, letters to both Bush presidents saying that don't trust any other garbage people who hate you. <laughs> and like, um, and so what, you want to feel, you want to feel like an individual. When you it's go not, to church, it's not that I want to feel like an individual. I, I don't care. Like one, I just want to be treated like a person. I don't want to be treated like someone else's perception of a culture they think I might be a part of. Gotcha. And, and maybe that, maybe that, yeah, is the. Could that be the right way towards racial reconciliation? Treating people as a person and not just as there's some part of some culture that you need represented in your organization or institution. I think there's the, I think that when I look at this, the survey results and we see how split it was 26%, 28%, 26% do nothing, do something. I don't know. I think the answer is just that if the church is doing what they're supposed to be doing, I had Galatians 3.28 that came to mind. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. If the church is doing that, what they're supposed to be, just treating people like, hey, we're all together now under Jesus, then that may be the way towards reconciliation. If we're concerned with this group has had more power and privilege, so we need to give this other group more power and, and privilege. Like you said, you, you're going to just start to marginalize people all over again. And I, I, and I, I think, think that I think that just uh, reconciliation in general, in general, is the primary message of the gospel. Reconciliation of humanity to God and to each other. I completely agree with what you're saying, and I would add to that. You know, um, a friend of ours was saying she she's a black person and she's like, well, I don't I don't I don't feel like I don't want to be the person that has to go extend an olive branch to white people and dance for them. And I was like, that's I mean, OK, weird. But like the the point of what she was saying was she didn't want to be the bridge builder. She didn't want to have to be the representative. And I go, uh huh. So here's the problem the white people want there's enough white people within the context of church that want racial reconciliation and the black people so. go yeah, well, we don't care i don't so right and, but at the same time you go into those white people's churches and there is better than 13 percent representation of blacks and other varieties of minority and sure. you go is this really a problem is this less of a hey my parents come to my church sometimes and they go, the music's too loud. Uh -huh. They yeah. want to go to a church sitting in pews and opening hymns and, and opening a hymnal and reading hymn and singing hymns. My, and, my wife is Brazilian. Yeah. She doesn't want to go to the Brazilian church down the street because the service is two hours long. She doesn't want to be sitting there that long. Correct. So we go to the other one. Right. The like when I would meet white girls who are like, oh my gosh, I've always wanted to go to an Indian wedding. I'm like, what you have to it's like four hours long. You have to sit through two sermons. 
Like they're the guy's pastor has to give a sermon, then the girl's like pastor has to give a sermon. Long, isn't it? That's a Hindu wedding. A Christian, an Indian hmm. Christian wedding, is just like first of all, they found the cheapest venue that they can cram a thousand people into, <laughs> and then like they found the only church in town, and then obviously the girl's like, I want something that's like really. She thinks she's Joanna Gaines, and I just want something that really represents old and vintage, so it doesn't have AC. So we're crammed in some church in Houston, Texas, that doesn't have AC in July. And then the Doubletree Hotel down the street was like, we'll give you a better rate if you come in at seven. So the service ends at four o'clock and you can't eat till seven o'clock. <laughs> and then they can't kiss at the at the reception because it's unchristian to kiss in front of other people, according mm. to the culture. I'm not kidding. That is a true fact. I was I was actually in somebody's wedding and she she would not kiss. They didn't even have a kiss at the ceremony. I, I remember wow. someone I know, they didn't have a ring because rings are, in, in jewelry in, in Indian culture is a Hindu thing, not a Christian thing, it's a Hindu thing. Right, right. So they had a Bible bearer instead of a ring bearer. And I remember the minister doing the service is like, if you're not going to have rings, that's fine, but then don't, what are you having a Bible bearer? This is dumb, <laughs> right? But at the reception, you see the bride wearing two and a half carat princess cut, so you got the ring, but you're not going to put it in the ceremony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The idiosyncratic nature of that drives me nuts. But I, I don't know that there is a solution when, when we're so divided. We have, we have two different definitions. My only thought process is let's just meet in different places. We're all the body of Christ at the end of the day. We all deal out. We're not going to. I'm not going to a Catholic church, right? Because I'm, I'm not a Catholic. I go to a church that aligns with my values. If the, if the if, like, dude, in Austin, there was ACC, Austin Chinese Church. Gonna say it's not for Taiwanese people, at least not yet. Maybe later it's for Taiwanese the, people, but the Korean Presbyterian Church is on my street. Yeah. And the so, sign is in Hangul, and I, I don't think I can go there. I mean, I probably can. They would love it, but uh, I, yeah. I don't speak the language. I, no, I remember uh, at one point our small fledgling church of Indian people was renting inside of a Lutheran church and someone just at, we didn't have a Indian sounding name. So somebody found us in some registry and visited our service and was perplexed. Like women sitting on one side, it was very uh, Orthodox Jew in oh. the sense that women sit on one side of the room, men on the other side of the room, not your families together. And the service, the hymns, everything was not in English. So they felt obligated to stay through it and people were polite and nice to them, but they never came back. It was like, yeah, yeah. white people don't belong here. But <laughs> I think that the onus, and I just I wanted to add this, we've unnecessarily and unfairly placed the responsibility of racial reconciliation on white people. And I don't think it's fair and replacing blame and other things on white people who had nothing to do with the subjugation of blacks and slavery. Now, I will say that uh, there was plenty of white people who fought against it. There are Christians who fought against slavery. They opposed it. They there's well, I shouldn't say that there, there probably weren't a ton of Christians fighting for civil rights. I'm just white Christians anyway. I'm sure there were a handful. Um, I'm sure they were Democrats from the mm -hmm. north. But I'm just saying that now let's deal with the present. One group wants to reconcile with the other group. The other group doesn't. How do you get somebody to date you when they blocked your number? You don't. 
you find somebody else to date. Um, but, you know, in one of the clips that I, I put in our show notes or whatever, it was this uh, clip of Matt Chandler saying, you know, black people who agree with you, they're just doing it for whatever. And that to me is the crux of where this is going to go all awry is because you have now effectively silenced minorities who aren't coming to the correct conclusion. So we can't go to our culturally relevant um, church full of brown people because they don't accept us because we came to the wrong conclusions. But now the white people won't take us either because they're saying, well, no, you guys, you know, you're saying these things that, you know, you're, you're coming to these other conclusions that might be politically conservative. You're just doing that for a place of status and acceptance. So now I'm, I, I as a, as a libertarian Brown person, I'm now left out of the conversation. I'm left out of church. I got nowhere left to go fit in because the, the one group of people where I was getting, uh, was having a place to fit in. Well, if you don't come to the, the black conclusions or the mind, the, the person of color conclusions, well, you're doing it wrong. I, right. Yeah. It, yeah. I think, I don't, I don't know what the right approach is. I don't think that's it. Cause when you go back and you look at Galatians three twenty eight, I think if you, then you start saying, well, we need to reconcile. So you people have power over these other people. You need to. Extend the face of that verse, which says we're all brought together in uh, under Christ. So I don't know the right way to do it. I think when we look at scripture, I don't think scripture gives us a right way to do it either. I think a lot of Paul's letters that we see in the New Testament are him trying to figure this out. Um, racial reconciliation, we'll kind of use it loosely, but the Jews and the Gentiles. There's a lot of Paul's writing in his letters to various churches about how the Jews and the Gentiles should get along, how they should reconcile their cultural differences and get along alongside one another. And I don't think there's any great answers. I think they're just kind of muddling through it at the time. And I think we have to do the same thing. I think we kind of just have to muddle through it. And maybe someone doesn't want to extend the olive branch. Maybe someone does. And that small group, when that guy made the comment and said, uh, you know, your people did this to my people, we actually ended up voluntarily just getting together for coffee one day that that African-American gentleman and I and just had a conversation about here's what it was like growing up for me. Here's what it was like growing up for me. It was a really good conversation for both of us to have. Um, now, I don't think we walked away with it with any <laughs> hyper spiritual feeling of, hey, now we're reconciled and now right. we're, we're awesome and, and perfect together. We just solved all the world's problems. I think it was it was kind of productive for each of us to hear um, both sides. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe that's a way to to do it. Uh, but the key thing is here is that that was voluntary on our part. Him and I just decided to do that, like as friends and as guys who went to church together, nobody made us. There was no counseling team or pastors who said, you know what, we need to reconcile racially. So you two need to get together and have a forced conversation, which is sometimes I think how we're trying to do reconciliation. And that way, that way is not going to work. No, and I, you can't force it. And, um, I'm just saying that I am accepting of people, white, black, or otherwise, who just go, who throw their hands up and go, this is a waste of time. Um, I have this policy personally in my life where it's like, if I'm trying something new or something 
different. And I'm going, this isn't working. I don't like it. I come to a conclusion. I have a number of hours I'm going to spend on something. I go, yeah, I don't care. Why am I wasting sure. my life on this, this, this pursuit of something that I can't, that it's a Rubik's cube I can't solve. Um, and I don't think we can solve the issue of talking past each other because, and yeah. listen, I, I don't, this is not a, this is not a gospel centered solution, but in life, this is just pragmatic. When a couple isn't getting along, they get divorced. Now God doesn't like that. I don't think, but I'm of the mindset that goes, um, what do we, if two groups of people, and I, I think this is my belief, the left, if you want to call them that, this is an unfair characterization, perhaps the more left leaning definition is forcing the right leaning definition, which is the definition I used and whatever of racism. They're kind of bullying them into you're going to, you're going to accept this and if that's the position that they're coming from, screw you. I don't care. Like, I don't, if you're going, I'm not going to adhere. Now I will concede that the, some of the problems have been caused by white people, but not these white people, these white people don't want that. So yeah, I think like at some point you have to, you have to look at for how long it will be, we've been dealing with this issue. Um, there was, oh man. And I should have, I should have looked this up before, uh, this podcast, this was a statistic cited by the, the reason, the reason roundtable, the reason yep. roundtable podcast, um, reason magazine in which basically the gist of the study found that we think the, that now as compared to in the 1990s, when they surveyed people asking the exact same questions, people think we are now more racist than we were then. And then they, then they gave you some of this, the statistics on, how many uh, black people do we have in positions of leadership and institutions right. and um, higher learning institutions versus prison. And you can see the stats actually get better in terms of how minorities are being treated, but our mindset, we, we think that things have gotten worse. But I think at some point we have to take a look at how long have we been talking about this and not coming up with any one great solution and let's look at the stats. Let's look at how things have actually improved mm. and say, hmm, maybe like what we're doing, muddling through this, as I said before, maybe it's slowly working. Maybe we're not there yet. Let's just, let's keep going. Okay, well, let's not Brett, put an ultimatum on this thing. Well, Brett, you're a white racist bigot, first of all. <laughs> Secondly, those are white statistics. You're right, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> but no, and so here's the thing. You're trying to use these things called facts. Uh, people don't care about that. I, I've learned one thing in having those conversations over and over and the coming to a place where I'm withdrawn from the dialogue, don't care anymore is because I was unable and perhaps I'm a terrible messenger. That is a, that is a, a fact I'm readily uh, ready to admit, ready to believe, but it didn't matter how much I pulled out the statistics and the facts. And no matter how many times I went to the Bible and said, well, let's think about what is good and what is true. Set your eyes on what is good and what is true. Or I don't, I'm, I'm misquoting the verse, I'm sure. Um, but we couldn't do that because people are, and this is much like I was saying at the beginning of this episode, Christian conservatives have uh, mythology that, they, that they, they, they believe about America and that mythology caused a lot of them to fall into weird conspiracies and 
listen, if we're if you run around calling those people white supremacists, you've lost you're not going to they're, they're uninterested in yeah. being influenced by you because you're antagonizing them. My pastor says something right. very in, pertinent here. You can't influence and antagonize people at the same time, calling right. them white supremacists and saying you need to um, acknowledge your white privilege when in their head. <clears throat> hey, man, I know white people who have been arrested uh, unfairly and in the course of getting arrested, got a severe concussion that they will for the rest of their lives. They're probably brain damaged a little bit to begin with. If you know, I'm talking, you don't know, (laughs) but I do. And someone's going to see this and they're going to go that guy. (laughs) But you know, he got pulled over and uh, arrested for, you know, something uh, he was just being unruly. He was talking crap. I mean, dude, there's plenty of videos of white guys telling cops, Hey, dealing with them antagonistically. Oh yeah, there's a lot. There's plenty of those videos, and every time I see one, my heart breaks. There's even one of a a Daniel Shaver in 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 Arizona. They're like crawl towards us, and then he's like, my pants are falling off, and he's trying to hike his pants up. And they're like, okay, uh, put your hands up, but crawl towards us. And he's getting competing things, and they end up shooting him in a hotel. Um. It's awful. And there's Duncan Lemp and all these other cases that are white people. They get they get unfairly treated by the cops. Nobody cares. And if you're a little if you're a 10 or 12 year old white boy and you're going, these people are upset about something that happened thousands, hundreds of years ago. But here's this thing happening right now to people who look like me. And you're saying it's fine because you have white privilege. So it's fine. And you're saying the problem is Black Lives Matter. Well, aren't you aren't you doing exactly what the United States um, intelligence agencies did in the Middle East to create all of those organizations so that we could go and fight them, and so that you know Halliburton could get a big contract, right? Isn't that a kind scary of what, comparison? But it's pretty good. I mean, you're disenfranchised. So um, my uh, angle when it comes to this is is the dialogue is happening in a matter that will disenfranchise white people to the point that we are going to, I, these, it's, it's going to create the white supremacists. It is, you know, the story of the yeah. boy who cried wolf, yeah. right? You start calling everyone a white supremacist. They're going to, they're probably not going to do what I did when the guy said, your people enslaved my people. I said, let's have coffee together. Right. Probably not going to do that. They're probably going to say, fuck this. I'm out of this conversation. And then when someone comes to radicalize, because you can use scripture to reconcile, but there are people like the aforementioned group that Danny helped rebrand that would use scripture not to reconcile, but to radicalize. So when someone comes to radicalize that individual, they're going to be far more susceptible to some of that talk. And I would say this much. They aren't radicalized by that person. They were radicalized by a conversation where they were wrongfully blamed for something they had nothing to do with. Mm. And, and here's a, here's, if I was a bridge builder, if I was the guy who said, let's bring these two groups together, I would tell the white people, listen, you think slavery is good or bad, bad. You agree with it, disagree with it, disagree with it. Great. You say that. Now you, what do you think, DeAndre? Okay. Could you put the gun down, please, for a second? We're trying to have a conversation. I don't have any money. I only have a credit card. I'm kidding. <laughs> what I would say to him. You're canceled. I'm canceling you before the episode even ends. You're canceled. 
Jim Bob, dang it. Why would you get a sawed-off shotgun? Okay, that's fair now. Thank you. Thank you. Now now we've reconciled. (laughs) Okay. Holy crap, Jorge, where'd you get a 50-cal revolver from? All right, now we've... Is that custom engraving? You forgot the Asians. (laughs) They're on the rooftop. (laughs) The Korean, the Korean Presbyterian Church. They're on top of the roof. Oh, and Danny has successfully offended every group. And the wanted Indians, reconciliation. We should have right. told you at the beginning of this episode that you were not going to find reconciliation by listening. There is a, um, and the Indians are in the corner. They're skipping dinner. And they're, we're not going to eat until everybody stops fighting. <laughs> <clears throat> and that's how the British crown jewels are from India. Um, so uh, there, I would say to both groups, and I would say, hey, listen, there are black conservatives who go, who agree with Thomas Sowell and say that the thing that hurt the black community wasn't necessarily slavery, a bad thing that nobody agrees with, that nobody wanted to happen. But the statistics are, you know, there was white people enslaved. There wasn't that, you know, the the majority of the people who came out of Africa to be enslaved uh, didn't arrive in the United States. They went somewhere else. And the majority of Americans didn't own slaves. It's a handful of wealthy, wealthy families, I think two of which are still around today. I mean, hmm. if I go out in this neighborhood where I'm recording this, I'm, I'm going to find a bunch of Russian immigrants that came here right. after they, you know, they came here after the USSR fell. They had nothing to do with it, right? Right. I mean, the term "slave" comes from "slav," so at some point in time, they were, you know, enslaved. Mm. So I would say to those groups of people, I would just say, I mean, can you understand? Can DeAndre? Can you understand? That Jim Bob is saying he never owned a slave. He didn't agree with it. He doesn't like it. He just thinks the stars and bars are cool and they look awesome flying on the back of his uh, truck. And his lifted his, pickup truck. His lifted pickup truck. DeAndre, you use the same lift kit in your box Chevy. Can you guys at least find some common ground? Common and ground. He, we found it. And hey, guys, both of you are excellent at smoking meats. Okay? Very both true. groups of people like so. Uh, I'm just saying uh, poor people, poor whites and black people have far more in common than uh, than they think. And but not but if if neither group or if one group, black people is antagonistic towards the other group and then there's white liberals being antagonistic with them. I I don't know that there is a way to win that, but I think there is enough common ground for Christian people to love each other who are different. And let me just add this, this little personal tidbit from my family's story. My mother came here when she was 16, when she was 20. Uh, my mother, my grandmother put her on an airplane and said, you're going to India. This is the second time we bought a ticket. I don't care what happens. You're coming back with a husband. Okay, <clears throat> and wow. the people at her in completely white church, said, oh my goodness, you're going to get married? And she's like, yeah, I haven't met the guy yet. They, they weren't like, ew, gross, what's wrong with you? Right. They threw her a bridal shower. They did everything they could to embrace her. And those evil white people are still some of the, the send. My parents don't even go to their church anymore. Wedding anniversaries, birthdays, still send cards. These are, and my grandfather was embraced by, by, uh, a denomination with basically no Indian people in a city where there was 
a handful of Indian Christians, all of them were Catholic. He was embraced by these little brethren churches. They loved to have him speak. They weren't really that concerned with any of this nonsense. What he looked like, yeah. He spoke with a heavy accent. He, 30 minutes of preaching, God forbid. He's doing an hour, hour and a half, okay? And it's something like, I, I, I do remember a story, it was before I was born. He went to go preach at a black church, a black Baptist church, because my grandfather was ordained in the um, Baptist tradition. And he was not familiar with the call response style of their culture. <laughs> and so he kept stopping. And I think eventually the pastor had to come up to him and say, brother, just keep going. They're not going to stop talking. <laughs> so, but uh, I don't, I, I don't think the solution is, and, and I find this disdainful. You know, there's a video of um, Truett Cathy, the, the founder of um, Chick-fil-A and uh, Lecrae. And he either takes his shoes off, cleans his shoes, washes his feet, kisses his feet. No, I'm uninterested in any of this uh, white guilt nonsense. And anytime I see anyone engaging in what I call white guilt nonsense, out, I'm done. I don't want to listen to you. I'm not saying you should have white pride. You should just not take responsibility for something you didn't do. Sure. That concludes everything I have to say. Yeah, I think I, I think I said everything I had to say as well. I think I would go back to, I, I just, I don't know that there's a right way to reconcile. I think you're more of the mindset that, Hey, I, you don't think that really the church should do anything. Uh, I'm, no, I'm of the I, mindset that maybe we're already doing it. We kind of just don't acknowledge that. Um, and that we, it's going to take some muddling through. It's not going to be perfect. Uh, but we definitely, you don't want to ostracize other people, uh, in the process. And I think that's really the point that, that you were making. Uh, yeah. And, and let me also just add this. Um, I, it's not that I think that we shouldn't do anything. I think it's completed. The work of racial reconciliation is completed through Jesus's dying on the cross. I think it's done. I think we're one people. Yeah. All right. I think we're all human. I think we're all banging each other and making mixies like, you know, mixed. <laughs> we're already doing it. Right. So like, that's the solution. You need to have more interracial sex. Yeah, actually, uh, interracial marriage. In marriage. Then, in marriage. Then the, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, there you go. I, I think there's a, uh, the, uh, the Moonies, the, the, the South Korean Church of Unification. That's kind of their plan. And uh, there's a, I think it's Vice does a documentary about it. It's people who get married who don't even speak the same language. It's like, well. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I think it's completed. And what I didn't maybe articulate was, the work of racial reconciliation, in my view, is completed. Now, where we choose to meet on Sunday mornings is it's imperfect. But in this life, to quote Thomas Sowell again, in this life, nothing is perfect. And we have to make trade-offs. And one of those trade-offs is we're not going to meet in the same place. And maybe we're not going to have this congenial, beautiful brotherhood of like, we're not going to look like the, the cover of a um, program for a community college where it's like, oh, look at all these different races hanging up. Maybe it's not going to be like that. That's really unfortunate. Maybe we're not going to look like Lakewood Church, Joel Osteen's church, which is hilariously racially diverse in a way that it isn't is, yeah. fake. And it blows my mind. And I love seeing it because we went to churches when we moved in together where we're like, where you were like, oh, look at the racial diversity. I'm like, yeah, they're talking about it too much. And it's too weird for me. <laughs> But you walk into Lakewood and it's just like nobody cares, but we're all here. 
Yeah. And so my parting line is, why can't you guys all just be cool like me and not care? <laughs> if everyone was just cool like me and super libertarian and just read the fountainhead and just mm. didn't care, we would all be reconciled. Yeah. <clears throat> Read the fountainhead and then go purchase fountainhead coffee at www.fountainheadcoffeeco.com. That's right. Actually, I don't know if that's the right uh, website. But it's Who knows? Like I'll throw the link in the description. But that is my 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 solution to the problem. I, it's not that I, I don't believe we just need to muddle through it. Um, I just believe, hey, have you tried forgiveness? It's in the Bible. Have you tried forgiving? And listen, if you truly believe that white people did something, these white people, this these white people did something wrong to you. These have ones. you tried forgiving them? Right? Is the posture of I, 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 I heard this sermon once from uh, a super charismatic church that I went to for six months and it was too weird for me to go there. So I left and the pastor gave a sermon on instant forgiveness, life changing. It's like yeah. it was a life changing. <clears throat> have you just tried forgiving the white people? All right. And hey, white people, have you just tried if if everyone carried a posture of forgiveness sure. <clears throat> and um, just going because forgiveness is the only way we can reconcile. Okay. Yeah. And I understand that we can't forgive something if the other person isn't recognizing it, but can you understand that they're having a human experience that doesn't align with your perception of who they are? And they're telling you, you think that they are these powerful whites, but they're not, they don't have the privileges that you you're saying that they have. I don't know anything about Indian weddings that you think you saw on TV. I don't know anything about that. I know about Indian weddings where two pastors give hour long sermons about nonsense. I can't even understand. I'm trying to tell you what's relevant and who I am, but you don't want to hear it because it doesn't fit a narrative. If you, so I'm just saying, if we all just have a sense of forgiveness and we accept when somebody, a person who we view as the other, when we just accept, if I just accept, Yes, black people are having bad experiences with cops. I'm so sorry that's happening to you. Now, if you didn't mouth off and scrape the serial numbers off your firearms, maybe you wouldn't have such a problem, okay? But I'm just saying, like, you know, and hey, white people, go listen to some outlaw country music from people who look like your great-granddaddy and figure out what were they talking about? Is yeah. it the exact same thing that these black people are talking about? Isn't this a part of your heritage? Oh, they're doing takeovers in the intersections of our streets and doing burnouts. NASCAR, you ever heard of it? Where did that come from? Right? If we all just, just throwing this out there, if we could all just forgive each other and go at it like, all right, I mean, and understand that we're going to have, listen, I do another podcast with somebody. We have a completely different view of this world. Mm -hmm. We can get along just fine because he's not expecting me to be something that I'm not. And I'm not expecting him to be somebody he's not. When you place an expectation on a white person to be privileged and they don't accept that because they aren't, we can't get along. Well, I think you've said your piece and it's, um, it's unforgivable. So you, Danny, are canceled. Brad, I just want to let you know something. You're white, yeah. you're privileged, yeah. you're a cisgendered male. You're a bigot and a racist. Yeah. Doesn't matter if you have a Brazilian wife. Doesn't I had a matter. Queer if... Experience. What? I had a queer experience. One. <laughs> Doesn't count. Uh, that's that's what? Oh, like less than a percent? Less than one percent? Doesn't count. 
We need at least three-fifths of a percent before it's going to start counting. Doesn't matter that your best friend is Indian. You're a racist and you're canceled. Thank you, Danny. We'll see you next time on Churches Canceled. Or we won't.